Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden makes some of the best art materials that you can get. You can find their products online at goldenpaints.com or in your local art store. Sound Division is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum makes incredible coffee that you can have delivered to your door. Check out their website, fulcrumcoffee.com, where you can order subscription coffee services to have different blends delivered straight to your door, and you could save by entering code ALFREDSTUDIO when you check out. Ken Wanjubu is a Nigerian-born, London-based, multidisciplinary artist. His undergraduate degree was in civil engineering, after which he received a master's degree in painting from the Royal College of Art. Ken was awarded the prestigious The Future Awards Africa in recognition of his contributions to the Nigerian arts community. His works have been shown in the Royal Academy of Art during the summer exhibition in London, Kristen Heldebert Gallery in London, Bomb Factory Art Foundation, Brick Lane Gallery, Vollery Gallery in Dubai, the Bishop Museum in Hawaii, ThinkSpace in LA, amongst many more. He's exhibited at Scope Miami I-54 London Prism Art Fair and ArtX Lagos, and he's collaborated with brands including Netflix, Gantt, Macmillan Publishers, and Martell. A core focus for him is to inspire and encourage young creatives, and he does this through public speaking and mentorship, as well as through his creative collaborations. I spoke with Ken from Singapore, where he currently has a solo booth at the fair with Retro Africa Gallery for a talk about growing up in Nigeria, making the transition from engineering to art, what he admires about musicians, eyes as the gateway to the soul, and much more. Here's our conversation. Uh, growing up was, uh, well, I always wanted to be a science student. So I did science in school. Um, yeah. I've always been attracted to engineering. Uh, I grew up with a brother and a sister. I was mm-hmm. the second one. So the I was, yeah, I was, I was the one nobody really cared about. <laughs> right. You do your thing. <laughs> I do my thing, you know. I think that helped me in a way because I was really stubborn. So yeah. that I used the stubbornness to kind of get into art from science. Uh, but I was the one that called when the lights went off, you know, when the generator stops working. Yeah. And I'd come and fix it. I'd do my own bit, you know. Right. So I thought I was going to be an engineer. So I, I went into university studying civil engineering. Um, the reason why I actually... Do. Yeah, you went, well, we went... Uh, well, it went... It, it went well in the beginning, but it became really, really messy at the end because um, I knew I had these visual, I knew I was attracted to, you know, making things, constructing things, yeah. you know, but I was also attracted to the technical 
you know, use of certain things. So right. engineering was, was something I wanted to do, but I chose civil engineering because it was more directed to building, to construction, to realizing things in your head and bringing it to life. But did you grow up in the city? Yeah, I grew up in Lagos, Lagos, Lagos City. Okay. Yeah, Lagos in Nigeria. It's pretty dense, right? City wise. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's very busy. Very busy. Very my my um the picture that pops into my head when I think of Lagos, I, obviously I've I've never been, is that Tony Allen record where there's the guy sitting and there's all those buildings behind him and they're all jammed. Yeah. You know, it's the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like the the density that I imagine. Yeah. yeah. You almost feel like you almost feel like you're choking in the whole um busy the sound itself you know yeah. I, I actually realized when i moved to london that i was actually shouting right. uh, in lagos you have to shout you yeah. have to speak yeah, yeah. loud you know you people will not hear you but when you come to london where it's quiet and then you're like what are you saying it was like <laughs> tone down your voice you know it's like what's with his volume what's with his voice you know well yeah. they won't and you know from where i come from you know you have to speak over your voice yeah. um but uh yeah so and civil engineering wasn't really you know i i wanted to build but my whole education was not about building it was about calculations and all of these things that i wasn't really interested in so art for me was my escape you know yeah I could still do engineering while I still practice and, and painted and drew my friends and their lovers and all of that. And I think that's just what made me gravitate towards art more. But was there sort of inspiration or yeah. were you just doing your thing or were you looking at a lot of people or were there people around you that you were inspired by doing that sort of thing? Yeah, um, it was my 100 level while I was in school. Um my first semester started up really good, but the second semester was really, I started realizing that I, I think I'm not going to construct anything here. Um, but I used to draw my teachers, you know, in a caricature manner while, yeah. I, did, while I lectured. And so my friends were very aware of my visual skill, mm-hmm. you know, my art skill. But one day I was reading and, you know, one of them came to me and he was like, oh, you need to see... I need to take it to this guy because there's this dude that was drawing a hyper-realistic work, yeah. you know, in school. Right. And I never seen anything like that in my life, right? Because I've never, I, I never, I never searched it. I never even knew there was anything called hyper-realism at that time. So I went to see this guy. I saw this drawing, and I'm like, it took me off. I was, I was stunned. Yeah. You know, I wanted to learn more, and you know, he introduced me to hyperrealism, and I just started to research it. And I met, I saw this guy doing that at that time. I saw his Twitter pages where he posts like stages of his drawing, mm-hmm. and he was Kevin O'Carfor. And I decided to study him and look at his work, and you know, my whole career kind of started from that that desire and 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 you know, ad- addiction to want to create something like that, to want to create yeah. a realistic image on paper. Right, it was that awe of the representation that drew you in. 
Yeah, yeah. Which you have elements of now, but the, also, obviously, you've moved beyond just that into different levels of expression with color and all that stuff. But that was the initial thing that drew you in. Yeah, yeah. It was representing my reality exactly how I see it. Right. But I, I still think that I still do the same thing, just that I do it now with how, with how, no, before it was representing reality with how it is. Mm-hmm. But now I represent reality with how I see it. So it's right. like still the same realism, but it kind of changed um, in perspective. Yeah. Did you, did you have sort of a moment when you started developing your skill to where you felt like, oh, well, this doesn't, I can make this look like this, but then what? Like other people can do that too. So how do I make it mine? Or like, what do I want to navigate further than just, you know, capturing the look of something? Of course, of course. While I even, because as an engineer, that's what you're thinking of, isn't it? How, yeah. What can you create that is different? What can you create that is that is important to 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 your society, you know? Yeah. And um, for my art, it was more of like, I can do this. I can draw people. It's not rocket science anymore. Right. You know, what can I do else? What else do I love doing? And at that time, I used to play with this thing called the Tromplerel, which yeah. is like uh, of, uh, a 3D illusion that people draw on the roadside or on buildings, you know, mm-hmm. that when you set an angle, it looks like, you know, there's a hole in the wall but then there was no hole in right. the wall. And I started to look at that. But one thing that caught my attention was with that practice, you have to look at a certain angle. But you see, with, with artworks, you, you you need it in such a way that no matter what angle you look at, still feels like there is a three-dimensional illusion. Right. So I started to play with you know faces and bone pick faces closer to paper and have that crack on the paper to show the faces because then if you look whatever angle you're looking at it still feels like you know the the illusion is there yeah and that's kind of gravitated towards this thing with the eyes yes the the eyes be behind um ton ton paper at that point so you encountered that phenomenon of like trump lawyer on the street yeah right so were you aware at that point? Have you ever seen people like Magritte who were doing that in paintings? Uh, no, I haven't. I hadn't seen that. I think my earliest memory of anything Trump Lorel was J.D. Hilberry. There's this guy called J.D. Hilberry who does, but he paint, he would draw rumpled paper on paper, yeah. but it wasn't rumpled paper. So right. the illusion was there. So I think that caught my attention. I was like, okay, it, it can happen. All, all that, all about drawing, everything about drawing is just shadows and highlight. Right. Like, doesn't have to do with colors, just shadow and highlight because you're using one material, just have to grade the, the, the shadow and highlight where you put it in. So for me, I could draw anything as far as I could get the right shadow and the right highlight, I could make any work. So doing the Trump Lorel works where it wasn't really difficult for me. All I just needed to do was what can I show in this work? And the first thing that came to my mind was faces at first. Mm-hmm. And then I started to break it down into the eyes because then the eye kind of carries so much meaning to me, you know, right. from almost losing an eye 
to you know what the eye really signifies in the body yeah the old um the eyes of the window to the soul sort of metaphor exactly. right exactly. It's, a, well, it's a powerful metaphor when you first like the parallel of first getting interested in in artwork when you're younger what was the music situation growing up was that big for you was it something that was around a lot the music yes oh man the music was everything it's still everything in nigeria uh, sometimes i feel like we are cheated artists are cheated in nigeria because every attention is given to musicians well <laughs> for good reason it's good stuff <laughs> it's, a, it's a cool stuff but um well, it's a cool stuff. Uh, you know, sometimes I, I get really jealous about that. I, I won't lie to you. Um, really? To be a musician, <laughs> just to get the kind of the kind of effects, you know, right. that that art really brings. You know, but music was really strong in Nigeria. Um, you know, music musicians like Whiskey and Davido, yeah, one of the hottest, hottest, hottest people in Nigeria, and. Um, uh, you know, you you just have to love to hate them. You hate to love them, anyone, you know, because yeah. they will always deliver, and you will always hear music everywhere you go. Um, but coming from a Christian home, it was kind of found upon to listen to worldly music. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, my mom would always tell us to listen to Christian music. So anytime I play worldly music, everyone is like, change that, change that, change that, you know. Yeah. But we've all you know grown into accepting music for its you know its very emotional value and it's um and it's um and it's art than than what than what the content of the music is you know right yeah uh, um well what, christian music like does that take on a specific sound or is it just that that's the i think it's more of the the lyrics, right? So yeah. it doesn't matter what shape the music is, as long as the lyrics are, you know, yeah. pro God, then you're good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> then you're good. Exactly. And I think that's what Christians there to do. They realized that there wasn't Christian hip hop, you know, it wasn't Christian this and Christian R and B, you know. Yeah. And many musicians there to do that, and it kind of broke the barrier, you know. I know I listened to Ty Tribet, and Ty Tribet had dreadlocks mm -hmm. you know and yeah. before dreadlocks was found upon but when i used to achieve it as a, as someone who used had dreadlocks you know and some of the the musicians and the and the ministers also had tattoos you know so all of these things you know it kind of opened up the idea that these are just you know representation and a way of um, expression they don't necessarily you know carry they don't necessarily say who the person is you know whether right. the person people or not and um, so it was. It was a. It was a very interesting um, change in perspective. You know, yeah. but music was always very vibrant in Nigeria, and I was always very in the middle of everything. You know, because yeah. I was second born, so I was very stubborn. So I'd be listening <laughs> to music regardless of if it was Christian or not. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, I love that idea of the the jealousy towards musicians because <laughs> music has that unfair advantage that. I mean, what it. makes art so great is that it is removed in a way. It's like you make this image and then you hang it and then someone goes and looks at it and they bring their own experience to it, which is a wonderful thing because different people have different experiences. But music just like gets in your body and moves you and there's no, that, I mean, there's lyrics or whatever, but that, like you were saying, it doesn't even really matter. It's just like the movement, the the feeling of it that 
it's almost like a cheat code to getting into someone's emotions and to controlling the way they feel, whereas art is a little more removed in a way. It's it's like a yeah. reflection of a, a visual experience, which is amazing. There's nothing like that either. But, but yeah, music does have that thing. Like when you go to a show and people are sweating and dancing, I mean, that doesn't happen in art much. And you know? it's, and it's just... It's amazing. And I always used to have this dream where I'm a musician. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, screaming, screaming my name and I'm making everyone go crazy and emotional. Um, music is such a very powerful tool. Um, it's so powerful. Um, and, and one thing I, that's why I stay using colors, colors a lot. Actually, very strong colors. Because I realized that I needed to bring emotion into the painting, you know? Yeah. Black and white it was just black and white. You know, there is no necessary emotion to it. You know, you're just consuming the technique and the content, not necessarily feeling something. You know, music makes you feel something. And yeah. every time I do a painting, I'm always trying to question, like, does it have the same effect as music? You know, can people right. feel? And another thing music does is that it gets everywhere. You know, it's easy. It's the cheapest thing right. to, it's the cheapest entertainment you can have in the world, you know? And that's one thing about art. It's not cheap. And it's not, you can't necessarily have it everywhere in the world. If you have it, you'll have it in tiny little bit in your screen. And that right, is right, not, right. not feel the experience of what the art is supposed to do. Yeah. So all of these things is what makes music so incredible and makes me so jealous of music. That is true because, <laughs> you know, when you go see live music, there's nothing like it. I mean, that feeling is very immediate and raw and there's something amazing about that. But I feel like music works better in your headphones when you're not at a live show. It's still yeah. more effective than the difference. When you go see a, like a, a big painting, in person, yeah. it has a huge punch and there's a the texture, the, all that. When you see it on Instagram, it's like, man, yeah. It doesn't have the same ratio of effectivity, you know, uh, when it's in reproduction or when it's, you know, consumed at home. I think there's more bang for your buck when you go see it live than yeah. with music in a way. I agree. I agree. Um, what I just wait for, I'm just waiting for somebody who can eventually break it and break the code and make how can you make people see our undiluted, you know, the tech, the feeling of the colors just staring at your face for everyone to see at the same time? You know, that would be a masterpiece. That would be a huge breakthrough in the art industry, you know? Yeah. But it's kind of difficult to have that same experience on the phone. Yeah, it's a weird, it's like the 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 vehicle, the way that art is the ideas and the emotions are transmitted in it has that inherent removal, you know, it's not like you invite, I mean, maybe someone did this. You don't normally invite like 800 people to your studio and watch you put the paint on. Cause that could probably do it. Yeah. Do you really yeah. want 800 people in your studio? What, oh, no, you know really. what <laughs> it changes, it changes the work, doesn't it? Like, oh yeah. Like you're mixing the paint and everyone's like, Oh, he's putting glue would... in there. <laughs> You wouldn't do anything. It would be so awkward. <laughs> Most people don't want anyone in their studio when they're working because you want to make those decisions, you know, on your own, and then, yeah. then they see it. You know, it's 
Yeah, performing live. I always crack up when you see those people who make paintings in like five minutes uh, and then oh. they turn it upside down and it's a portrait or something. Like that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> in front of a live studio audience. I can't imagine working that way, you know. Uh, what what happens when you work that way is that you take away you take away the most beautiful part of art, which is the spontaneity, the, the fear, yeah. the desire to want to do what you love. You know, because right. just looking back and seeing people's faces going, that can change the whole work. That can oh, change yeah. your mood. You know. Yeah. Uh, so you need to be in that safe haven to be able to create anything you want to create before it gets to people's eyes because exactly. then you don't care what they think. You know, you've done the work and they have to consume it regardless of how it looks or how it is because to you it's beautiful. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah, and that beauty is you, when you're in the studio, you have that time for reflection, even if it's like 30 seconds where you do yeah. something and you sit there and you think... And if there's people watching, you, you're not going to do that, or it's not going to be the same. So, because you're performing in that sense, so you don't have time to do that. So, you know, but music, it's unfair because when they're improvising live, they can reflect, but they're reflecting with the vibe of the audience too, and shaping that sort of experience. So, yeah, it's, they're two different things. There's a beauty to both of them, and yeah, sometimes I think us. You know, I used to play music, but I don't really do it anymore. But there's this feeling of people who work in their studios all the time. Man, it'd be nice to be out there, like yeah. with people, like you yeah. know, giving. And then there's a lot of artists who hate going to openings because there are people there. They only want to be alone. It's funny. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think I like I like the two worlds. Um, I like to have people in the studio sometimes. Um, and I like to be alone sometimes, uh, and I like to go for my opening sometimes, and I don't like to go for my opening sometimes. I think it's just the feeling, you know, of um, of the exhibition or the show or the yeah. or the work or or even the mood of the of the artist. You know, what what emotion are you in at the moment? Can you take people in, or or do you just want to be alone? Right. Yeah. yeah. It's nice to have that dynamic. Um. Growing up, so you're getting into art, you know, out of engineering. What about sports? Were you ever into sports at all? Yeah, I used to. I used to play basketball and football sometimes, um, but I was more into chess. Um, oh, very, nice! Yeah, very good at chess. Uh, Strategy. I to, yeah, I used to win all my friends. Uh, <laughs> I used to play with older men. I think that's what made me become friends with William. Really a lot of older men yeah because sit and we just play chess all day you know and I right. used to be, uh, I used to play anything um, Ruby's Cube Scrabble all of that like I I gravitate because I'm an engineer I, mm -hmm. I, I I'd, I'd think of myself as a smart person so right. I'd always to do the smart games the games where people shy away from or run away from because it's too complicated you know those are analytical mind games those are fun yeah, I love those games. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. I like Scrabble for some reason that's like my game I love it I don't I rarely play it but I love but I've been doing the um, the wordles and the mini um, crossword puzzles for the New York Times like those oh, sort of yeah. things oh, I love that I love those. I love yeah, it just keeps I, your brain warm you know exactly exactly I, I really don't like Monopoly because it's so 
Oh, the bomb oh. one, and I hate it. And it's so long. <laughs> it's so long. <laughs> yeah, that real estate is a game. Is just like I don't know. Yeah, that's yeah. Like, <laughs> that life. I don't like playing life because it's too much like life. It's yeah, it's, it's too much life. <laughs> I like it's that. like I'm already doing this one. It's hard enough. <laughs> you know, I'll play poker instead or something. <laughs> Very true. So Very true. when you went to school, was it for art? Did you start off in art? Or like when would the, when did the transition happen to sort of studying art? Um, that's a good question. No, I, I, didn't, I didn't go to school studying art. My first degree was a BSc in civil engineering. Right. When I finished engineering... Um, because you'd be crazy to quit engineering and tell your mom or your dad you want to go study art. That would be the end of you, honestly, in Nigeria. Right. Uh, you can't do that. So I had to finish engineering. I had to force myself to finish engineering and get the degree. Right. When I did that, I gave it to my dad and I said, I want to do art now full time. And, you know, my mom supported me. She was like, go for it, you know, and I went for it. You know, I just stayed to create. I stayed to make art regardless of, you know, I didn't look for a job in engineering. I didn't want to find jobs. I knew that once I start a job, it's going to be a messy, messy thing for me because then I'd have to start, you know, toggling between my job and then making works. And I didn't want to do that. just wanted to go full on um, into art, which was very... Which was not lucrative. It was not a lucrative decision at all. It was a messy decision because I was yeah. broke for the time. Um, but you know, I just kept on doing it. You know, um, yeah. I've been doing that for a while, making paintings, making works. But everyone kept telling me that you know every opportunity that I I felt like I was supposed to get because I have done so much, I kept not getting them. And I felt that that was because I didn't study, I didn't have any art education or what right. at all. And everyone kept telling me, "Oh, you need an art education. Oh, when you do this, you know, when you become, when you come out from any school, an art school, you know, it'll establish you more as an artist." So, two years ago, I set up to applying for one of the biggest art schools in the world, which was Royal College of Art. I said to myself, it was, if I want, if I was to do an art education, I'd rather just do it in one of the biggest art institutions in the world, you know? Yeah. Apply for the Royal College of Art. And to my surprise, I got in with a scholarship, a full scholarship. So my whole tuition, my whole stay in the Royal College of Art was paid off, you know? And it was- That makes it easy to to jump so Yeah, it was so decision, easy. right? Yeah, so I did the whole course and it's just been, a huge experience and growth from there you know everyone now sees me as a professional artist you know? even though i was professional before in my own right yeah but now it's like everyone has accepted that okay he knows what he's doing you know right. and he just can't continue what he's doing so that's that's basically for me how i got into art school and did my master's in painting yeah i would imagine that if you say to the parents like i'm switching i don't want to do the engineering and then, but I have to go pay all this money for a oh, new man. degree. I, I mean, that's, that probably helped out that transition a bit. Yeah, it did. It did. It did. And and I I really started to make a lot of um, um wave in the art world, mm-hmm. uh, and started to get a lot of footing in the art world. 
So it was quite easy for me to, you know, say I want to fund myself in, in my master's degree. Right. Yeah, because I didn't want to give my parents that kind of burden. They already sorted out my engineering. They already sorted out, you know, me being, you know, who I am. So I, I left uh, my my parents' home and got my place and said to sort out myself and make ends meet to try and feed myself and put myself in order. So it was a it was a huge um, decision I made, but and everybody was telling me I was crazy for making that decision, but. Um, I knew that nothing good comes easy. I needed to suffer in a way to kind of make it. Well, at least you were suffering tuition free. <laughs> I was, I was little, suffering. It's a little less suffering than the suffering could have been, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. That's so true. No, because um, honestly, so many people come out of school with such huge debt, you know, that it really makes it difficult to get to get moving start to do things when you're you know trying to pay off these huge loans it's tough um, but yeah, was it a, what was the transition like from lagos to london oof that <laughs> uh, was a very strong transition um i'm pretty sure it informed your work yeah it completely changed my work um so at first i came to london to 2019 to see and to witness uh, for my, I came for my cousin's wedding, but in a way I did the wedding and I had a solo show here in London. Um, so I came for it, did the solo show at Bridgling Gallery. Went really well. Um, um, ended up a real mess. Um, I don't want to go about, I won't talk about it, but it was a real mess how it ended. Um, yeah. I was, I was really, I was, was, was a sad, um, um, you know, it was a sad ending and I went back home and I was like, I will never be in London. I will never go to London again. But then I changed my whole work from all of that experience. And I started to use colors. That's when I started to use colors. You know, when I came out from London, because I saw when I went to every museum or gallery, everything was colors, colors, colors. And I was like, I need to start using colors. I need to play with colors. And so I started using colors when I came back to Lagos. Mm -hmm. and wait so it was, it was more monochrome before that yeah it was more monochrome all monochrome before that before 2019 it was just black and white drawings hyper hyper real drawings you know and then I'd add like collages collage of um, certain um, paper newspapers or I'd add like something extra maybe like a something contemporary you know but the drawing was more more monochrome Right. Um, when I came back to Lagos, I started to use. I, if I, I didn't start to use colors immediately, was when the COVID hit. When COVID hit, and we were all stuck at home, I then realized that I needed to play with colors. You know, yeah. I, all that's paused. You know, I could I could literally be learning something new. You know, while everyone is you know in their houses. You know not knowing what to do. I could just play with colors. So I started to play with colors and that worked out well. And I had a show immediately. Um, a big gallery called me, Thinkspace Gallery in Los Angeles. And I had a show in LA and that went really well. I thought that went really well. And I thought to myself, well, the world is ending. I think I enjoyed my London experience, but uh, even though it ended badly, 
maybe I need to make better decisions, you know? So I went back to London. I came back to London to try again. Um, did six months in London. <laughs> Crazy. Money was very, very expensive. I'm back to Lagos. <laughs> so it was it was me just trying to figure out how can I stay in London? How can I what is it like what kind of value can I get from being in London, you know? Yeah. And tried the third time, which was when I went uh with the Royal College of Art. I decided to know how to spend my money, how to save my money, how to invest my money, how to kind of, you know, manage all of these things so that it works for me and I can stay there longer. And it kind of just worked for me. So I came back to London 2022. And then I've been in London ever since. Now, did you ever think New York, LA, Paris, anywhere else? Why was it just London that really called you? That's a good question. Um, my, my mom has always been such a London fan. <laughs> so, um, Any particular I- reason? Well, my cousins are in London. My her sister is in London. Oh, okay. So family uh, was there. Yeah. yeah so it, from the onset, she wanted us to ha- school in London, but I think the tuition was so high that she wasn't able to afford all of that. Yeah. So, but it was all my mom had planned was London. So London was a very, I think it just stuck in my head. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why. Cause I had, cause I had a visa to the US. You know, I went to the US. I went to Miami in 2022 as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just felt like when I got to London, I just felt like this was my place, you know? Yeah. This, yeah. I would no, it's be great. My- I was just curious as to, you know, yeah. um, because the, the vibe of London is so different than New York or, LA or even Miami. Miami is so different than New York or, or London too. So, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it seems like was the school experience there really a positive? Yeah, very positive. Very, very positive. Uh, we are College of Art is a beautiful institution. Um, and uh, it was, you know, there were, there were a lot of people who would help. You know, there was a lot of um, inclusion. Yeah. Black, black artists as well. Um, I think COVID did that. You know, it opened up the black art market, but at the same time, you know, people were very happy to accept that in London. Um, not not saying that I'm not, I might not go to New York in the next maybe like four or five years. You know, I might still go to New York and start another migration story right. <laughs> in New York. <laughs> but I see myself as a like like every like I always say every white person sees himself as. A citizen of the world because they can travel anywhere mm-hmm. at any stress but you know my visa and my passport and the way i look will always restrict me from that or when i need to fight that i want to be a citizen of the world i want to be able to go to new york tomorrow and stay in new york for another five months or a year you know and experience that you know so that for me, that is my goal. That is my future. That's what I see myself doing, to be able to go and enjoy every culture in the world and consume it and ha- speak about it and speak about my experience in those cultures, in these places. Because right. I believe it has to do it, you know? Yeah, the funny thing about, well, I, I know New York well because I've been here for 25 years, you know, and um, 
the diversity here is pretty, you know, it's pretty diverse. There's people from all over the world here. And I know, you know, other cities like London or LA or there's diversity, but New York is like so compressed and there's just so many people that it's, it's interesting to think about how when people move or immigrate or travel to different places, how that story is different dependent on that local vibe, you know? Yeah. And I've talked yeah. to artists who, you know, are born and grew up in Asia and moved to like Kansas or something, you know, <laughs> which That's is much, like diff- much different, you know, yeah. like the yeah. dynamic can be so different just depending on where you go and the people you're around and stuff. But, uh, but yeah, well, I would like, imagine your work was really, um, shifted or which is just, cause I know you spoke a little bit. I was like reading a little, you spoke about how, you know, um, being seen as an immigrant sort of changed your, your mindset because before leaving Nigeria, you'd never think of that, obviously. So that really kind of like affected the work, right? Yeah, a lot, a lot. Um, when you are in Nigeria, you're home. So everybody is just a neighbor or family or friend. But when you leave Nigeria, when I left Nigeria the first time, it hit me, you know? You know, there was a lot of um, racial commentary one way or the other yeah. that I had to face and go through. And it reminded me that, oh, wow, so this is what I used to watch in movies. You know, oh, wow. So, you know, the, I remember being going to a, a coffee store, a coffee shop, and they treated me really bad. And they put me one side and attended to the other ones. And my cousin, my friend, who is white, was like, that's not right. Hello, that's right yeah and then it hit me like oh wait wait maybe that's not right you know yeah maybe i'm being treated wrongly and that realization that oh wow i'm an immigrant you know i'm i'm african i'm black you know it starts to dawn on you you know i start and i i start to think you know that's what many black people face around the world you know the realization that they know that they're black but what back home, you don't necessarily know it, you know. Right. You just yeah. like person. Everyone, uh, the one, that's when I even realized that everyone acts diff, like everyone in different culture acts differently. You know. Yeah. Look, for example, let me give you this very good example. Um, maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but I'd say it. Um, in London, everyone is so blunt. Mm-hmm. They tell you exactly like they, you know, in Nigeria they tell you exactly what it is, but they tell you in a very polite way. In London they tell you exactly what it is, exactly how it is. You know, <laughs> they're not going to be polite about it. You know, right. oh, you, know, you smell like they'll give it to you straight up. You know, yeah. And before early while I got to London, I found I thought like, why are you like that's an insult. You know, why are you mm-hmm. being why are you being weird and insultive and all of that, you know? And I, I'd keep a grudge about that, you know? A lady would come and say, oh, I don't like this art, you know? And I'm yeah. like, why do you have to tell me you don't like my art, you know? <laughs> right, you that's not necessary. Oh, that's not necessary, you know? Yeah. But then I realized that everyone did it. And then I, it hit me. Oh, wow, that is a cultural thing. Yeah. You know? They're just speaking their mind. And every time I confront them about it they're like oh i'm so sorry i'm just saying my mind you know you start to understand that everyone you know wherever you grow up from you know you you grow up with a different set of um 
culture, a different way of reacting to the world, you know? Yeah. And that's when I started to accept it, you know, accept what people say and not look at it from my perspective or look at it from their perspective. Do they mean well? Do they mean do they mean good? And are they do they have something on the back of their mind when they're saying this? You know, all of these things start to start to make me, you know, understand other cultures and and want to understand other cultures and not necessarily think that my the way my way of life is supposed to be everybody's way of life. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that when you start to understand the world and how Definitely. diverse the world is and how beautiful it is as well, right. you know, because there's beauty and diversity and the thing yeah. is, is like you that's why i was saying traveling you understand that different people have different perspectives because yeah. you could take that same person who's very blunt they could travel somewhere to where everyone's so polite they'll never say anything to you yeah and you could have you know spinach in your teeth or like there's some shit on your face or whatever and no one will yeah. say anything and you're just walking around yeah. like a jackass all day <laughs> like, well, why won't anyone say anything to me yeah, and, yeah. Smell and you don't know it <laughs> so there could be the other side of it too where people are just too quiet or polite and you you yeah. want to know like express an emotion to me you know what i mean yeah. so yeah. it's all yeah. relative really yeah it is it is you're, you're very right very very right so but when you graduated from school did you what was your plan stay set up shop travel like what what were you thinking that's a good question um I don't think I was thinking anything, honestly. I just went into career work. Um, yeah. Everybody expects me to think of something, but I wasn't really, I'm not really thinking of anything, honestly. I'm just, I just want to create as much work as I can create in London um, and make as much, you know, opportunities yeah. as I can create in London. And, you know, just be so hardworking and so out there and so outspoken, you know, that I can utilize the experience, the opportunity I have because many people have come to London and they have failed to utilize that opportunity. Right. And me, I want to go to this place and utilize all of that opportunity and milk all of that opportunity out and go to the next place and milk all of that opportunity out. So for me, it's just about, you know, touring the world and you know doing the best i can to share my story and to push my culture to to a global audience you know yeah. to tell our story to a global audience that people can listen that people can see and and people can gravitate towards nigerian art you know so many people have done it before me you think of nengi umuku you think of victoria kemeno you think of great artists like um uh, I, so many of them, Bruce and Nobapai, Papa Bruce, um, all of these people have, in one way or the other, pushed Nigerian art to a global audience. And I want to do that as well, you know. And the way I see myself doing that is to use myself as, uh, as a character in the whole work right. and to experience the world and share my story in these places that I'm experiencing. You know, so I don't really have a, a really strong plan. Like I'm not thinking, okay, I need to set up my base here and I need to do this. I'm just trying to make the best out of my opportunities and, you know, work to the next stage and the next stage and the next stage. Even though my galleries, the galleries I work with, Retro Africa Gallery, Christine Yelegat Gallery, they all have plans. 
you know, they all have to, you know, build my career to a point where, you know, it has more value and, 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 and strength. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's just to create great work and to, and to think what nobody's thinking to, to, to imagine what nobody's imagining and try to bring it out visually. Yeah. I think that's like all we want to do really is just make work. I, I think I meant a little more of just the reality of usually when you're in grad school, you have a studio and then when yeah. you get kicked out of grad school or graduate, it's like, <laughs> oh, shit, what do I do now? Like you got to, you got to decide, okay, can I set up a studio? Like the oh, yeah, logistics of like, just setting up shop, you know, can be tricky sometimes. Yeah. I have a studio in London. Um, uh, I have a studio in London. Um, it's my, it's my goal to maybe get a bigger studio so I can make bigger works, um, make bigger projects, have bigger projects. Um, but I, I can literally work anywhere, honestly. Like I can work in Singapore right now. Yeah. If I have, if I have a canvas, I can work here right now. So, um, the studio isn't really, um, um, a big deal in the whole, in the whole planning. It's I've just a big studio. I've been You've doing it for 20, 25 years as my, in my career and I've never had a, I don't like big studios cause I feel like I got a fill it or something. Well, not that I've ever, oh. <laughs> I had one residency where it was a huge space and yeah. I just set up in a corner. <laughs> oh man, I know. I don't know what I to know. do with all this space. I was just like, I don't want to need all this. I just need, it's, it's big enough for a painting. It's big enough for me, you know? It's big enough. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. For me, it's, um, yeah, so it's a good, that's, that's a good thing. I had a residency as well, the Bomb Factory Art Residency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's a huge studio. You have no idea. And I was making boxes and I made over 100 boxes and they didn't still fill up the studio. This is 40 <laughs> or 40 centimeter boxes, mm-hmm. huge boxes, and stacked them up and they still didn't fill the studio. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's sad, <laughs> but yeah. we took it to the gallery space and the field of the gallery space in a, in a second, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I, I get what you mean, the bigger studios, uh, but, but then what it does is that it inspires you to keep joining, to keep creating works, you know, it inspires you to keep creating projects. You know, if I have a big studio and I have paintings, 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 and I want to create a sculpture, I can still create a sculpture and I want to create a big painting. I can create a big painting and I can put all of that in the store and empty the studio and be inspired to create more. Yeah. So I think, um, I think I miss, um, I think in back in Nigeria, I had a big studio. So, but London, I have a smaller studio because it's quite expensive, Yeah. but I'm just hoping to have a bigger studio soon. So that I can, you know, push myself to creating the bigger works. Uh, that move to Kansas. I'm sure you can get a big studio real cheap. In Kansas, yeah. <laughs> I'll move to Kansas very soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everyone keeps telling me to leave London and go to maybe like Birmingham or something. That I'll see a oh, bigger. Right. Yeah, but um, yeah, but uh, you're, you're you're a football fan, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm a football fan. I mean, yeah. I saw a picture of you at Afcon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cote d'Ivoire. Yeah, Cote d'Ivoire. You, uh, well, you're a Nigerian fan, but do you have a club team that you're in, into? Oh, uh, I'm, I'm a Messi fan. <laughs> Anywhere Messi is, just pull me there. Oh, so you're I, a Miami fan now? 
Yeah, I'm a Miami fan. You know, you know how it is. But, it's, like, um, it's like Barcelona 2016 right now, Miami. <laughs> it's like the, the old guy tour. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Um, it's crazy how Messi is a team on his own. You know, he's a club on his own. Yeah, I'd rather be a Messi fan. I'd rather be a fan of the greatest footballer in the world. What about Osimene? Yeah. Do you like? You know, are you fans of the Niger- the great Nigerian players who are playing now? Hey, Osime. Yeah. Victor Osime. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a great. He's a Man. great. Yeah, he's my, he's my, she doesn't like me saying this, but he's my fiance's very close friend. Oh, nice. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's it's a, we world. support him all the time. So. That's great. Yeah, we, we hope, we hope he brings the cup home, you know? Yeah. That, yeah. that would be very, very Amazing thing from Nigeria, for Nigeria to bring the Afcon Cup back home. They just beat Cote d'Ivoire, right? Two one. Yeah, yeah, one zero. Was it one zero? Yeah, one zero in the penalty. Um, oh right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's it's it's fun to watch that stuff. Yeah, uh, I'm a big not, football fan. Yeah. I mean, I've always been playing. Yeah, it's not, it's not fun to watch because it's, it's so tense. Oh yeah, tense. that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but when we're winning. Yeah, that, that's the funnest. Feels good, right? Yeah. It's, it's the bullshit game. <laughs> right, right. Those are the highs and lows, you know? That's what you pay for, kind of. You know? Yeah. As hard yeah. as it is on those low points, it makes the high points even better. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, um, so do you, what all do you have coming up? Like, do you want to share with people how they can find your stuff? What what shows or, or online, where the best place to see your stuff is? Yeah, I have a, I have a, well, I'm having the Singapore affair now, um, but I have the I have a solo show with Christian Yelligat Gallery in Berlin, um, which is going to be really cool. Um, I'm really excited about that. Uh, I have some projects I'm working with with Retro Africa Gallery, mm-hmm. my Nigerian gallery. I have some projects I'm working on with with her um, with the gallery, so I'm pretty much excited about that as well. Nice. And I have some personal projects as well. Um, I'm working with a with a curator, um, a friend, who is a curator, Kenny Ekundayo. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to we're trying to do something very museum worthy, you know. Nice. Um, something very institutional, something that really speaks about migration in a deeper context, you know. Right. And so I'm excited about that as well. So. And then we just, I just have some collaborations I'm kind of working on, um, hoping that those are released soon and I can share with the world. But for now, I'm just enjoying Singapore. Yeah. <laughs> hoping to go back to Lagos to start my planning, um, to start, um, you know, taking some pictures yeah. of my return to Lagos, you know, that because there's one thing leaving your home country is and that thing going back to your home right. country it changes your perspective in a huge way you know so i want to see how that my perspective changes just staying in london for more than more than a yeah. year and going back to to lagos i want to see how that changes the way i see lagos and the way people see me right. as well you know and document that in my nice. life well listen it was a pleasure meeting and talking to you Thank you so much. Thank you. Same. Yeah, the other work is really, it's really great. So I'm excited for people to, to hear this and check out your stuff. Same here. I like the interview. Thank you so much.
Sound and Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find out more about the podcast by checking out images on Instagram at Sound and Vision Podcast or the website, soundandvisionpodcast.com. You can check out more about Ken's work by checking out his website. You can follow him on Instagram. Just search his name. And many thanks to Golden Artist Colors for their sponsorship and for Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Many thanks to Ken for taking the time out to talk. Mark your calendar. I have a solo show opening up on March 28th at Miles McHenry Gallery in New York City. So please come to that opening and check it out. You can check out a little more about my work at Alfred Studio on Instagram or brianalfred.net. Got many great episodes coming up with some really great artists so make sure you stay tuned leave a rating review wherever you can wherever you listen to your podcasts and many thanks for the support <laughs>